Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast, where we share stories of life change and inspire you to take a next step in your own faith journey to discover your purpose and honor God with your life. Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast, uh, where we tell the stories of Cedar Creek Church and those that are attending, um, and also our partners. Today, I am joined by Don Nesbitt. Hi, Don. Hey, how are you? Good. And I'm Sam Radford, the Communications Director for Cedar Creek Church. In October 1999, I was invited to go to Promise Keepers with a group of men from Aiken. Promise Keepers was a men's conference, and in this instance, it was held at williams Rice Stadium in Columbia. And I was kind of looking forward to it, just to get out of town with my friends and uh, also be in an environment where we'd be exposed to some great speakers. And um, at the time, I was a very high-functioning alcoholic, and that was something that a lot of people didn't recognize, but it was... Um, a very big challenge in my life when it came to my marriage and sometimes my business life. And so we went off to Promise Keepers and got to hear a lot of great talks. But on the uh, towards the end of the conference, uh, Ravi Zacharias was preaching, and uh, he was talking about, specifically to the men, 30,000 of us, about what is keeping us from having the relationship that Christ seeks to have with us? What are the barriers? What are the things that we haven't surrendered? And Towards the end of his uh, talk, he, he prayed over us, and then he asked each of us to write in a uh, little program book on some of the blank pages what was separating us from the relationship that God wanted to have with us. And I wrote down alcoholism, pornography, and lying. And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, men, I want you to turn and, talk and uh, introduce yourself to somebody and have them pray for your list. Well, at that moment, God taught me a really big lesson, and that was a lesson of transparency. God knew what was wrong with my life, but it was hard for me to admit what was wrong in my life and to ask him for help. And at that moment, I learned about prayer because while I had been in church for a long time and certainly lots of prayers in small group and in the sanctuary, it wasn't a part of my my daily routine. Um, it was more of a 911 to God, hey, can you help me out? I've kind of screwed up here. And this gentleman from Tampa, Florida, total stranger, prayed the most beautiful prayer over my list in a way that uh, built me up and didn't tear me down. And that was just kind of the beginning of uh, God moving me closer to him. The following weekend, I was uh, scheduled to go to a three-day retreat, and um, I had been putting this off for quite some time because I wasn't sure I could stay sober for 72 hours. Um Anyway, throughout the weekend, you hear uh, talks from lay people and pastors, and there's a moment during the weekend that you have an opportunity to go to an altar. It's called Dying Moments, and God had prepared me for that moment the weekend before at Promise Keepers because I went to the altar, and I prayed those for those same three things on that list. And when I got up from that altar in a room with about 40 men, I knew I'd never drink again. I knew God had healed me. And um, it was just an amazing thing. It, it was uh, unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my walk with God. And um, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't so confident that when I got home, I paraded into the house and told my wife what had happened. Um, but it manifested itself in a, in a much more beautiful way. Later that week, as she was getting ready to go off for her three-day retreat, she looked at me in the 
uh, one morning and said, what happened to you last weekend? And I just broke down and I shared with her the story because she had heard the lies before about I was going to stop drinking. And uh, there was a little commitment behind that. So um, that's when I learned about how seeking God's um, closeness in your life, turning yourself over, surrendering to him, how he can really answer prayers. So um, that was October 1999, and I've been sober 23 years. In 2001, February of 2001, my wife was diagnosed with leukemia after going for a routine teeth cleaning. Uh, her gums wouldn't stop bleeding, so we ended up at the Aiken Hospital. The following day, we were transferred to MUSC because she needed to be on an isolation wing. Our kids were young. They were in elementary school. I mean, this just absolutely rocked our world. And um, we got down to Charleston. Her induction phase was six weeks. So she was on an isolation wing for six weeks. Uh, either myself, my mom, or her mom would stay with her during the day and the nights. Um, a really cool connection that our church has to our stay in Charleston was a family approached us about being able to uh, have a home in Charleston that we could stay in um, as as family members came and went. And um, it was Molly and George Green. And our connection through the church is they're the folks that founded uh, Water International, or Water Mission, I'm sorry. Um, so... They opened up their daughter's house who was on a mission trip and allowed us to stay there. But So we're down there for six weeks, and we are thinking that, hey, we're going to go home. And when I say go home, we're going to get to go home for one weekend. We're going to sleep in our own beds for two nights and see our children who um, had only seen their mom twice in six weeks um, because we just couldn't have, couldn't have risk uh, her being exposed to any kind of germs. Um, the night before we were supposed to go home, she started having chest pains. And they had to move her into the cardiac ICU. And um, she could have no visitors. It's the first time she'd been alone through the first six weeks. It was devastating to both of us. It completely broke me. Uh, during the six weeks that we had been down there, I had found that I couldn't pray in the chapel at MUSC. I felt, it felt like a grief room to me. So I had found a, a waiting room that overlooked the uh, Ashley River and that's where I would go to pray and hang out. There's big windows. It was light, and there would be people in there sometimes, other times not. Well, that day I was broken. I walked into that waiting room just to pray, and I was sobbing because we're supposed to be going home to see our kids the next day, and instead my wife is uh, in the cardiac ICU, and they don't really know what's going on. And um, in that room was a gentleman wearing an FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes T-shirt, and he came over to me. And he introduced himself. His name was Javier Jenkins. And he said, what's going on? And I told him, and so what's going on with you? What are you here? And he's like, well, my, my father-in-law, the patriarch of our family, is, is here in his last moments. And we're just, you know, as a family, you know, hanging out here. And um, he said, can I pray for you? And he prayed, and that prayer lasted about 20 minutes. And when he got done praying, I knew that Sherry was going to be okay. Not just okay from the cardiac situation, but okay from the leukemia. And I believe that God put that man there for that moment, and he was bold enough to approach me and offer that prayer. He was God's messenger. So that's the second 
example of how prayer can really change the uh, direction of somebody's situation. We could fast forward to 2010. I, uh, I own a business locally. I have uh, always had a business partner in the business. And uh, at the time, our company was exploding from a growth standpoint. Um, uh, unfortunately, my business partner uh, got caught up in a midlife crisis. He got addicted to crystal meth as part of his uh, new lifestyle. And for the next 18 months, I think I saw him six times. Um, and it was heartbreaking because he was like a brother to me. And, you know, with my past and alcoholism, I wanted to fix him. And uh, he went through, well, he entered rehab three times. He didn't complete it any time. And during this time, I mean, our company was spiraling because he represented a great deal of the revenue. He was a salesperson. And um, my prayer during that was just that God would would guide us as a company and me as a as an owner. And I was constantly being uh, judged by my peers and some of my employees. I need to buy my partner out. I had every right to, according to our buy-sell agreement. But the message I kept getting from God was to be patient. And I mean, it was causing problems even at home. Um, but I just kept being obedient to what God was telling me. And I give you an idea of my routine. Every morning when I drive to work, I pray. I mean, I have a list in my head of people that are in need, or maybe it's some of my own family's needs. But that time I was always listening to praise music and driving to work with tears coming down my eyes as I prayed because I love what I do. And at that moment in my career, I wasn't loving it. It was very difficult to go to work. And uh, God just kind of saw me through that. Um, one day as I was driving on Aiken Augusta Highway, crossing underneath the Bobby Jones uh, Highway, um, I just got a message from God that he had prepared the way. And so when I got to the office, I talked with uh, one of my employees that's also served as a mentor and counselor. And I said, you know, what do I do about this? And he's like, I think you call your partner. So I did. And I had called my partner probably 300 times in the 18 months. And I think we had talked maybe four times because he just ghosted me. He answered the phone that day and I said, I need to buy you out. I said, if I don't buy you out, the company's going to have to close its doors in about 90 days. And my partner was a great negotiator, very shrewd businessman. And I knew that any kind of buyout in the midst of what he was going through, which now included divorce, was going to be very difficult because there'd be multiple attorneys involved. But God had a different plan. Two weeks later, we were signing the paperwork for the buyout and all the attorneys signed off on it. So I tell you that to say sometimes prayers aren't answered instantaneously. Sometimes it takes a year and a half. Sometimes it takes longer. And then finally, um, in September of 2022, I was diagnosed with colon cancer after a routine colonoscopy. So I went and met with a surgeon, and the surgeon looked at me, and he said, you're young, healthy. He said, we're going to do a colon resectioning. You're going to do great. You're going to pop right back from this. You know, this is just a little bend in the road. And uh, I'd never had surgery before. I've never been in the hospital since Dad was born, other than to take my kids for stitches. And I just uh, just kind of rocked my world. Um, anytime you hear the word cancer, you know, I go back to thinking of my wife's leukemia and other folks that I know. 
when we, uh, the surgeon told us that before we scheduled the surgery, I would need to go have a CT scan on my chest and abdomen, uh, just a routine thing. So after that, we went back and met with a surgeon to schedule the surgery. And that's when I knew that something was wrong. Uh, he came into the room and uh, they had found tumors in my liver. And based on that, and based on his knowledge of doing this for so many years, he said, I'm 99% sure that's cancer, which means you're stage four. And uh, he said, I don't know how else to tell you this other than you've got your backs up against the wall. Because once the cancer starts spreading, it's a pretty low survival rate. So, you know, during this time, our home group and people that we've been close to for years and have done life with, they were praying for us. I mean, we kept them abreast of what was going on. We just asked that they keep it off social media. Um, my fear was that this thing wasn't going to go well and that I just didn't want the memories popping up on my family's Facebook page. So I had the surgery. It was, it was great. And during the surgery, the waiting room was packed out with people that, that loved my family. I back up. The day before surgery, um, one of my friends had asked if he could invite some people over to lay hands on us and pray for us. And he needed a few numbers because he doesn't attend our church, but he knows a lot of the same people that we know. And so I said, sure. I said, I'd like to do it in the driveway because I don't really want to be in a confined space with a bunch of folks the day before surgery. You know, I need to be as healthy as I can be. He said, no problem. And uh, so that Sunday afternoon came and it's pouring down rain. So we're not out in the driveway. We're in the house. And, uh, 35 people showed up, um, people that we have done life with for 20 years, all people that we were connected to through home group, except for four of them, which were immediate family. So I don't know where you're at in the home group commitment, but I can tell you those are the people that show up time and time again. They circled around us in our house, and, and they prayed for me and my wife, and uh, it was amazing. The conversations that have been had since that meeting at my house about people's own relationship with God, the, there are people in that room that are not Christians. Um, and uh, just the testimony of these people coming to our house on a Sunday afternoon, it's made them ask questions. Um, and then the prayers were so honest, so real. There were some people just absolutely mad at God that something like this could be happening to their friend Don. There were people who just wanted God's grace and healing and his mercy. There were folks that were just confident that um, we were going to use this to glorify God in the kingdom no matter what. And so um, little did we know what God had in store. So I had the surgery, recover well, and I start chemo. And uh, again, go, go meet with the oncologist a believer, just a great guy. And, um, you know, we prayed during that first meeting that the schedule at this point was six months of chemo and then uh, liver resectioning, um, which sounds uh, easy enough. <laughs> but the, uh, so I got my chemo started and on our way out on December 21st, uh, we uh, had to meet with him on the way out with uh, the oncologist. And he came into our, off, into our room and he said, I have good news and I have great news for you, Don. He said, the good news is the DNA testing shows that you're not a carrier. Your children are not going to have to be predestined to this and lots of extra tests. 
He said, the great news is those tumors that are on your CT scan in your liver, they're not cancerous, as confirmed by both the MRI and the needle biopsy. And we wept. God had just given me a new lease on life. And so I asked the doctor if I could pray for him because I understood that he doesn't get to give people that kind of news very often. And as I laid my hands on him and prayed for him, when we got done, he was weeping too. His staff deals with these things day in and day out. And rarely do they see the mighty power of God. So I'll go back to where I started. I didn't know how to pray either back when I was an alcoholic. But it was just through a stranger from Tampa, Florida, that I began to understand what it was like to talk to our father and just have a conversation. There's no right or wrong way. And through these stories, through what God's done in my life, you can see sometimes it's my prayers. Sometimes it's the prayers of home group. Sometimes it's the prayers of complete strangers. That's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know that, that God's going to use your story, just like the prayer that one of your home group members prayed that that this would be to God's glory and honor. And and I know that anybody listening to this is going to feel that. Um, you've encouraged people to pray, to, to learn how to pray, to accept the prayers of others. Um, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask was back in 1999 when you attended that first conference, um, you were saved before this conference? I was. I was. We were going to a church and um, this uh, this conference was the first time I'd ever heard contemporary Christian music. I mean, at the church we were attending at the time, uh, if we wanted to kick it up on the music level, the guy would play the piano instead of the organ. <laughs> so, you know, it was a great place for our family at the time, but uh, praise music just spoke to me mm -hmm. that weekend. I think it's just so encouraging for those that are listening that you were saved, you were a Christian, you had a relationship with God, but you went into that conference and you you didn't have to be perfect and you learned so much just by being transparent. That's the word that you used with yeah. the stranger in Florida. Um, so that that's just really encouraging to me. And um, how did your, your prayers change from, or did they change from whenever you were at the conference and you're praying to be healed from alcoholism to when you're at MUSC and you're praying and crying out for your wife to be healed to to then to yourself being healed? How did they change over the years? So I don't know that the um, the way I prayed has changed. I, the frequency, it, it's a it's an ongoing conversation. And, you know, it, it, it takes years, but um, I would say early on I was more of the world than the kingdom. I would, uh, you know, church was great. It was a great place for our kids to be, uh, lots of cool activities, but um, I wasn't really uh, a Christ follower. I was more of a fan. And as I saw God work in my life and realizing that when I was in control of things, 
they were more likely to go bad. But when I surrendered to God, they were more likely to go good or the way they were supposed to go. And um, so what I talk a lot with people about now is, you know, put both feet in the kingdom. Don't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You know, it's okay. God will work out when you when you put both feet in the kingdom and maybe you have to change a little bit about some of the things in your life that you do. Don't be concerned about what other people think. God will, God will fix those things too and sometimes draw those people closer to him. Yeah. And you referred to the group in your driveway as an army of people. Yeah. And we often hear about prayer warriors. What is a prayer warrior to you? Oh, geez. I mean, I think everybody has that person they call and say, hey, will you pray about this or will you pray for me? And you call that person because you know they will. Um, to me, that's that kind of symbolizes a prayer warrior. And um, it, it's beautiful to hear people pray out loud, but I, I have friends that are not comfortable praying out loud, but they pray. And um, I think the hardest thing is to just do it mm-hmm. and to make it a part of your routine. Right, exactly. Is there anything else you want to add for your story, Don? I just pray that this is not about me, that this is about what God can do in people's lives, and that somebody that hears this will be drawn closer to God, that they'll they'll reach that point where they want to be transparent. God knows our heart. He knows everything about our lives. There's no sense in us putting on a facade that he doesn't already know it. One last question. Sure. Would you pray for us as we close out? Be happy to. Father, we just thank you so much for loving us. Lord, I don't know that we can really understand the magnitude of how much you care about us individually. So, Lord, as we approach your throne with humbleness, I just pray that this message would be carried out throughout the kingdom, that people would be drawn closer to you, that they would feel that their life is is not so different, that they don't have to fix it before they approach your mighty throne. Father, I pray for those warriors, those prayer warriors that have been so faithful in praying for others and carrying your message throughout our community. Lord, I pray for our church staff who has the foresight to um, use technology to uh, draw people closer to God. And Father, I pray for those that haven't made a commitment to home group yet. Lord, those are the people that showed up in our time of crisis every time. Our worldly friends are great. They're friendly. But the folks that really put the leather to the road and do great things for those in need are the folks that we've connected to through Home Group. So, Lord, I give you all the praise, honor, and glory in what you've done in in my life. I thank you for uh, having a sense of humor. uh, Sometimes I don't get it right. But, Lord, I, I just pray that as we go through this new year, that we would be more committed to you, that we'd have both feet in the kingdom, that we wouldn't keep reaching back to the world because, Lord, you're all we need. I pray all these things in your holy and gracious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. You bet. And thank you for listening or watching today to the Cedar Creek Church podcast where we tell the stories of those at church, um, maybe our partners, and the kingdom. So thank you for listening. And we might be back next month with another story you'll enjoy. Um, Be sure to subscribe and share this with your friends. Thanks.